Welcome to Christian Life with Dr. William Baker. I'm your host, Dr. William Baker. And this week we're going to talk about the foundation fruit, uh, specifically the fruits of the Spirit. The crucifixion of Christ, Jesus, allows all humankind access to the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit are supernatural tools that enable man to live by the Spirit and to combat sin. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine of them. Just as with a garden, fruit require nurturing to blossom and grow. The fruit we grow allows us to display the Spirit of God through our actions. The fruit of the Spirit will only grow if we follow and live by the Word and Spirit of God. And that fruit grows in us. But we can also display that through our actions and help cultivate it in others as well. We're going to take a closer look at what the fruit are. You know, examples using daily life will show how the fruit displays the Spirit of God. One of the nine fruit supports the growth of the other fruit. So each fruit helps the other fruit grow. But love makes it possible for the other fruit to develop and grow. Love is a key fruit there. Without it, the other fruit will not develop and grow. Now, God's greatest demonstration of love was the crucifixion of Jesus, because God is love. Jesus took the burden of man's sin to the cross and sacrificed his human manifestation. Christ has become the living spirit, the life-giving spirit. Now, the Spirit's now present as a result of the work that he actually finished. You know, he had to actually finish the work of Christ Jesus to enable the Spirit to, you know, dwell in us, be one with us. Jesus suspended some of his omnipotence to allow himself to experience the grave. He died on the cross so man could have the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. As we develop and mature in love, we will come to realize self-giving love. Now, love is also patient, kind, bearing all things, believing in all things, hoping in all things, enduring in all things, and is never ending. Love is strong and can even give us strength from the past. Now, an author, Don Acock, in one of his books which was titled Living by the Fruit of the Spirit, again, Don Acock, recalled a memory from his youth when a delivery driver backed into a radiator. You know, when making deliveries, a delivery truck rapidly approached the supply warehouse where his father worked. Don, a little boy at the time, was standing outside the supply warehouse. The delivery driver turned the truck and quickly backed into the radiator of a fluid pump. The driver got out and blamed Guess who? The little boy, Don. Now, Don's father quickly admonished the driver and indicated his bad driving was at fault. The young boy had not spoken a word in his own defense. Don knew by his father's actions he was loved. In such an instance, it would be easier to blame the young boy, wouldn't it? You know, hey, the young boy did it. But, you know, you know that the other guy did it. And his father didn't go after the young boy. He knew better. 
How many times do we automatically place blame without the thought of possibility that what the other individual is saying could actually be true? If we're to operate in love, we cannot keep it for ourselves. Self-giving love requires us to give it to others. If we do not give love to others, we will not truly understand what love is. Can't understand love if you just keep it inside. Now, joy is an enduring sense of love that becomes evident through a conscious relationship with God. As we grow in God, we also develop and grow in joy. Joy is not something we can find and assimilate. Joy grows from our direct relationship with God. Life tends to bring many hardships. We all know that. We experience hardships all the time. Everyone reacts differently to the trials and hardships in life. When faced with a hardship, the unbeliever typically experiences bouts of depression and anger. Everybody has depression and anger. For someone who believes in God, one proceeds with a profound sense of joy, knowing God will not give more than we can endure. We're not to focus on what we do not have. We focus on what matters, which is salvation. Operating in joy also allows us to heal. Healing and joy come in many forms. One such form is to heal memories. Wood could think back to a bad memory and feel an overwhelming emotional tide surging in. Operating in joy al allows us to remember that memory in a different context as we walk with God and feel his comfort in the experience. Now that's something. You may talk to somebody about that, but in your mind, you're thinking back to that experience. And you're in a different mindset because you're walking with God. And you look at the experience differently. And the outcome is different. And it can change everything dramatically for you. It can be difficult to step outside of ourselves and claim joy. We know joy comes from our relationship with God. We have to reach out and accept God. This requires us to leave the mental safety of ourself, thus making ourselves vulnerable to whatever may happen. We're also literally placing our faith and trust in the Lord. God co-labors with us through a relationship developed by grace. Just as we grow and mature the fruit of the Spirit, so too must we grow our relationship with God. Now, you can see this is just a couple of the fruit but how it can impact our life so much. We're also placing our trust in those around us who may or may not operate in a spirit-filled manner. Some experience great joy in acquiring items in this world. This world and things in it are temporary, including the perceived joy one might feel in obtaining something they really want. Earthly riches don't bring joy one develops when one comes to know the Lord. It's not the same kind of joy. God allows us to develop our relationship with him and come to know him because he loves us. If God was not love, he would not have suffered our sins and allowed the spirit to fill us. Instead, the Lord allows us to know him and know joy. Another fruit we mature in through our relationship with God is peace. Peace is a sense of total well-being. There's often a misconception associated with peace, peace that it has to deal with the self 
rather than true peace as described in the Bible. People often seek peace in life from the everyday peace and burdens of life. Now, what people are, people are really speaking, seeking, excuse me, in this context is a lessening of the overwhelming feeling due to the presence of living in a flesh-centric world. Now, living in a spirit-filled manner, one can come to know and develop a godly peace. When one grows the fruit of peace, one does not retreat from the obstacles encountered in life. You can confront life head on without becoming overwhelmed when you operate in the fruit of peace. When we feel the power of the spirit, we truly understand how powerless we are. As our relationship with God grows, we come to understand we are nothing without the Lord. We witness many things in life, some of which are good and others that are bad. In everything we witness, there's one common theme. Everything of this world is temporary. When we find peace in God, we find something that is, that is, I want to say that again, is and not temporal. Salvation is obtained in and through Christ. We can claim the salvation of God and the salvation that God's promised us when we accept Christ in our lives and live a spirit-filled life. It is at this point we are maturing the fruit of peace within ourselves. Operating a spirit-filled life allows us to take whatever may come before us and keep moving forward until judgment day. Life could only be experienced from a humanly perspective if God did not love us. Different states of emotional pleasure or dread would control our lives. We would engage in activities with no moral compass. The love God allows us to know God and how we are to operate in a Christ-filled life. We have the choice to either walk in a spirit-filled life or reject it. Acceptance of the spirit-filled life gives us access to the fruits of peace, enabling us to accept and address whatever the Lord places before us. Now, there will come a time when God will judge man. God will give man every possible opportunity to repent before judgment, since the Lord is a loving God. This is the measure of God's long-suffering, also known as patience. God's patience allows us to obtain and receive promises made to humankind. We learn of the fruit, long-suffering, through the actions of the Lord. Now, the Lord knows man lives a flesh and sin-filled life. Throughout our relationship with Christ, we are tempted with humanly pleasures. We stray. God knows we stray, and yet he doesn't destroy us. God allows us the opportunity to repent and live a Christ-filled life. The Lord does not reject or condemn us when we succumb to temptation. God's waiting with loving, open arms to receive us again. He doesn't close the arms. They're open and waiting. We're never alone. Now, there's a perception that we've been separated from God because you know, we've sinned. We believe we're separated from God because we've given in to temptation. In reality, God's always there. We simply lose sight of the fact that God never left. 
We feel this way because we did sin. The act of sinning is a choice we consciously make. God allows us to make this choice. When we choose the sinful nature, God has the patience for us to realize our error and return to him. Now, living in a spirit-filled life requires us to nurture the fruit of long-suffering. We're to treat others with the same kind of patience, regardless if they're living in a spirit-filled life or not. Many are quick to anger. How can one achieve salvation if they're always angry or short-tempered with others? Operating in the love of God allows us to keep focus on what is important. The Lord is the only one who has the right to be angry or ill-tempered due to our sinful lives. After all, Christ died on the sin and weakened himself, took in sin that he was incapable of taking in. I mean, he was because he's God took the sin upon himself, and he's not angry. So what are we doing getting angry at people out there? We have no basis or claim to anger. God is kind to the ungrateful and evil. The Lord showed kindness to those who many would claim do not deserve to receive kindness based on their actions to others. God offers everyone the same level of kindness that God gives himself. You know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of preachers, you know, and they need to learn this. They need to learn these fruits and what it really means. There's a lot of preachers out there who shouldn't be preaching, but learn the fruit. It amazes me what I see every day. So I'm trying to educate and I am going to expand upon that. We're going to start preaching here soon. Not not today, but shortly. In, the, in a few days, we'll I will start preaching again and putting it out there. When we stray from God, we're still welcome back with kindness and love when we repent. The Lord does not say we're not welcome back because we went astray or keep going astray. Instead, we're welcome with open arms. We begin to realize it's not a self-centered kindness as the fruit of Kindness takes hold and grows internally. The kindness of the Lord is for the community of the church and beyond. Remember, the church is not a place. The church is people. As members of the church, we're to act in kindness towards each other. While we interact with others in kindness, we should not expect kindness reciprocated. Be nice to others. Don't expect it back. You may not get it back. Some people aren't that mature in God yet, and they might need some help, and they might need a lot of help, not some, but a lot. And you might just be the person to help them. Acting in spirit-filled kindness is more than just kindness. It's a wholehearted kindness directed at others. At first, it may appear this could potentially be difficult. We're supposed to be acting in kindness and love towards ourselves and others. What if a person has angered us or we perceive others to be slight, slighted by another in some way? The person is still to receive our wholehearted kindness. I know it, you want to fight back and, and, you know, the world has turned it into a sport, a competition. Everybody has to be, you know, facing somebody. You want to win, whether it's sports or games or, you know, 
gambling or it's so much. So that person's still to receive our wholehearted kindness. As the fruit of kindness develops internally, because it's internal. Remember the fruit grow internal. The ill perceptions and hostility toward the other person decrease. We slowly come to realize the godly form of kindness and operate in the spirit where it is wholehearted kindness toward the individual. Now, love enables us to develop this kindness. How could we possibly show kindness towards others and ourselves if not for love? Love is a part of the foundation that enables us to understand what kindness is and grows kindness to maturity. Without love, we cannot know God's kindness. Oh, excuse me for a second. I feel like I want to sneeze, but try not to. The Lord is the only one who is good. As men, we cannot be good as we live in sinful nature. We learn what goodness is through God by actions taken by Jesus. Some people will try to tell others exactly how to be good as if they're good and know what good is. There is inherent judgment in those actions and at the very least a short-sightedness. God doesn't want us to be good because you know it's what we have to do. God wants us to live in goodness because we accept him and it is what we do. You know, we're good. It's not we're living in goodness cuz you know we think that's what he wants us to do. No, he wants us to be good. We need to be good. It's, it is not being selective as to when we will display our goodness toward others. Growing the fruit of goodness can be challenging. Society makes it difficult when one is living a spirit-filled life. Now, don't be ashamed of the testimony and suffering that will come with it. In society, an act of goodness can be misconstrued. If one were to render generosity and comfort to a drug addict, some would think you are foolish for providing such assistance by enabling the drug addict. Others may apply labels to you and classify you negatively in some socioeconomic manner. If we believed in the superficial cloak that society provides, we would not render comfort to the drug addict. Instead, we would save the displays of goodness for others in society that we place a higher value upon to witness. But it doesn't matter what other people think. Internally, we know. You know, if you're helping a drug addict, some people may say, oh, my God, it's, it's you know, they're just drug addicts. Leave them alone. They may say you're a drug addict, too. You know? This would not be doing God's work, you know, if we looked at higher, you know, hey, this is what I think. No. God did not worry about what others thought when he blessed us with his grace. He sent Jesus to take human form and suffer for our sins on the cross. As humans, we have the choice to believe and act in goodness or reject it. God can be nothing other than what God is. In this case, God is good, loves us so much that he suffered the cross to bless us with grace. Without love, the goodness and generosity we give to others would have no meaning or purpose. Many witness Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Let society witness true goodness through your spirit-filled life and place your faith in the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
You can say it all day long, but do you practice what you preach? How many people are going to have faith in what we are saying if we ourselves do not believe in it or practice it? If we do not live in faith, the work that works that God wants us to do mean nothing if we're not living in faith. It evokes a double standard saying of do as I say, not as I do. Faithfulness is actively living your Christian life in a Christ-like manner. Now, Christ Jesus wants us to place our faith in him and live according to his teachings so that we may secure spiritual treasures and the entrance into the kingdom of God. Now, isn't that something? Have faith in God. Repent. He's going to build up that treasure chest for us and allow us to walk through that doorway into the kingdom of God. It's there for you. You are worthy. Even when you're standing before that white throne, it is not too late. But if you're cast into the lake, my friend, even in the lake of fire, the lake of forgetfulness, with Satan, it is a terrible, terrible way to go. And it will be very difficult. I don't, you know, I'm just speaking from my observations in the Bible. Hell can only exist because of God. So yes, there may be a lack thereof in hell, but outside of hell, God exists. So hell exists in that, that realm. And getting out of there, I don't know if you could overcome that suffering to be cognizant for a minute to understand how foolish you were. Or maybe you'll just amplify how arrogant you are and thought it didn't matter. But it does matter. And that's why I'm preaching. That's why I'm teaching. It does matter. Your soul does matter. Living in a Christ-like manner is not simply having the appearance of being a good person. Yes, God wants us to have a spirit-filled outwardly appearance, but we must also be spirit-filled. We've got to feel that Holy Spirit. It's got to be in us. We need to understand what living in the Spirit is so that we're not merely acting in automatic response fashions to others. You know, you push the button and the apple will fall. Or you push the red button and the door will close. You want the door to close, you push the whatever button. No, it's it's not something you program yourself with. Our actions need to be deliberate stemming from our knowledge gained from the Bible and Bible study. There's a key right there. You need that you need that um, you know, you accumulate money in your savings account. You have a checking account, some some take cash, some have, you know, savings. But when you read your Bible and study the Bible, you build up that currency in your biblical savings account. It gives you strength. It doesn't tell the Lord, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're a good Christian. They're studying their Bible. No, it gives you strength for when you need it. When Satan's on you, when the demons are on you, when things are on you. Remember the fruit. Remember God is there. 
Learning to operate in God without worrying about what others think or say can be difficult. We need to remember the work is not for us, but for God. When our actions toward others are of a godly nature, we should not be concerned with judgment thoughts of others, what they're thinking about us, the judgmental thoughts that they have. There should be no expectation of any kind of reward. We need to do things because it's what we need to do. It's the right thing to do. You know, what's right? What's wrong? You know what's right and wrong? Look at look at very young little kids. When they interact sometimes, they know what's right and wrong. As adults, we don't care. We're beyond that. We've taught ourselves out of that. We should base our lives on the faith and faithfulness we place in and towards the Lord. The reward for our faithfulness will come at judgment. For those who remain faithful in the teachings and unto the Lord will receive eternal salvation. You know, why can we receive this reward? So, we can receive this reward because God is faithful. And he will keep his covenant with us. We're not perfect beings, but rather living with temptation all around us. God knows there's many things in the world beyond temptation that burden us. God has not forsaken us and is there in our time of suffering. To realize treasures beyond this world, the Lord wants us to make sure we place our full faith in him, even in the smallest of things. Matthew tells us when we're faithful in little things, the master will give us greater things. Such is the case with receiving eternal life. Starting at a young age, we witness the aggressive nature of society. We also come to learn that being aggressive provides rewards to the aggressor. There's a tendency to associate this aggression with strength and power. God teaches us that gentleness is actually true power. Gentleness is a restraining of power used in fulfilling spirit-oriented purpose. Think about the power of God. The Lord's so powerful that all human existence and evidence thereof could be undone with less than a thought. Instead of destroying imperfect beings, Jesus came to teach and show us how we should live. We're imperfect. Perfect beings. Go figure that. Oh, my God. It's, it's horrible. The world's ending. We're imperfect. No, God's teaching us how to live. God is gentle. We live... And many live non-spirit-filled lives. We're given time to redeem ourselves through the Holy Spirit. But God understands we're imperfect and we need nurturing, just as the fruit of the Spirit needs nurturing within us. We are sinners, but you will not find the Lord punishing and yelling at us. This is another example of God's gentleness. God doesn't yell at us for straying from the path, but allows us to find our way back with his guidance. God tells us to take his yoke and that he is gentle. You know, he's shown us the way back. He lets us come back. He wants us to be gentle. The Lord understands how man can suffer on this earth. We have to deal with our own temptations and appetites as well as interactions in society. God knows not everyone's living a spirit-filled life. One is not forced into submission to accept or follow the Lord. When one comes to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, he gives you his yoke. He's gentle. He gives you his yoke. It's light. He lightens your burden. 
God loves us so much that Jesus took human form to die and suffer for our sins that we may have eternal life. Now, God's yoke helps freeze us from the burdens of this world by providing spiritual comfort and support. We wouldn't be able to take God's yoke if Jesus did not suffer our sins. God's yoke is another example of his gentleness and love. Gentleness and love would not be without God's self-control. Self-control is one's ability to master inner passions and appetites while maintaining a focus on God and living a spirit-filled life. Everyone has a direction in life, leading us to something we wish to achieve or obtain. The direction in life for those that believe in Christ Jesus is to obtain eternal life through Jesus Christ. In order to obtain promised eternal life, one must exercise self-control over worldly pleasures and riches and do the work of the Lord set before us. How can we be expected to display spirit-filled living if we ourselves engage in activities we wish to counter? Self-control can be difficult to master. We are fleshly beings. The world's full of many things that Contempt man's appetite. Some would argue that self-control is denying the pleasures of human existence. While in fact, the exercise of self-control is taking control of temptations and choosing to engage those that help lead a spirit-filled life. Yes, we're not animals. We have that choice. You know, you see animals out there just making decisions. We have a little bit higher thought process. God gives us the power to perform his works. We're to be good stewards of this power. This requires us to exercise self-control. You know, God would not have us given us this power to perform his works if he knew we could not exercise self-control, perform the works required of us. We have access to tools that allow us to obtain and maintain control over the self. One such tool is the Bible. The Bible allows us to read the teachings of Jesus Christ and follow his example. We can visualize in our minds doing the same things that Jesus did. He teaches in parables. Continual exposure through Bible readings and study allows us to build and maintain self-control. It builds that foundation in us. You know, it's the, it's the currency you build up in your biblical savings account. Excuse me. God knows through his love that we can develop and maintain the self-control. Love is enduring. It's hoping and believing in all things. God's given us the tools we need to develop self-control. God has given us countless examples of self-control through the life of Jesus as documented in the Bible. Now, I know not everybody has access to a Bible around the world. So, starting this week, uh, this Sunday... I'm going to be um, starting to preach and explain about the Bible as I read it, the New Testament. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. For those that don't have the Bible, you'll be able to listen and, you know, I will, I will walk everybody through it. God's love is patient. If God was not all of this, we would partake of the passions and appetites, you know, we should refrain from. We'd be automatically condemned. God's given us time to learn and develop the self-control so we can lead a spirit-filled life and realize eternal life.
Now, through the course of the podcast, we've examined the nine fruit, how to grow them, why love supports growth of the other uh, eight fruit. The relationship we have with God allows us to know, grow, and mature the fruit of the Spirit within us. The fruit of the Spirit allow us to be an example of a Spirit-led life by performing the work God wants us to complete. We use the fruit not for this world, but to achieve salvation for the next. It's not what we get here. Maybe you'll get something, but we're not doing it for that. God's love for us makes this all possible. When you let God control your life, all things do become possible. Now, earlier, we talked about how God is, you know, and and he could easily, you know, deal with the human nature issue without even a thought. But let's understand something, you know, and let's, let's use the word being. Humans are human beings. I-N-G. The end of it. Separate the B-E in the front. I-N-G. We are temporal. Now, God bees, you could put, you know, God, B-E apostrophe S, he bees. Why? Because God cannot unbe. You know, we can stop existing. Think about that. You're nothing. You're no thing. You're not even a thing. You're nothing. You're just out of existence. God always is. And he's given us every chance, even that last chance. So please understand that and start growing your fruit. If you have a Bible, please read it. You know, um, I'm going to start with the New Testament this week. Please take, if you like, you know, the background of what you've heard, tell others, you know, share it with some friends. Don't get yourself in any kind of trouble. Uh, This is broadcast internationally. So I, I don't want individuals around the world putting themselves in harm or risk you know if if it's harmful or riskful to you lead a spirit-filled life in that you have that outwardly appearance people will learn over time what it is possibly you know if they have that interest and and know, knowing and you know you listen to it you know don't put yourself at risk though be safe god god wouldn't want you to do that because you couldn't be you know, out there displaying what a godly life is if something happened to you. And remember, God's always there. Even when we sin because we're fleshly, God's always there. God's always there for us. He never went away. He never goes away. We make those choices. Remember, this earth is a battleground. Angels were cast out. This battleground that we call Earth is for the souls of humanity. Are you going to do the right thing? What side are you going to be on when it's all said and done? Is there going to be a seat for you in heaven? Because I hope there's not a seat for you in hell. That would be terrible. If you get condemned, that is the worst. You say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. There may be no no tomorrow for you. Think about that. If now is all the time you had left, 
Would it be enough to say, well, I was going to do it tomorrow? You won't even be able to say you were going to do it tomorrow. It's too late. You need to make the changes now. So this was another Christian Life with Dr. William Baker. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. You know, please tell your friends, uh, spread it around. I don't do a whole lot of social media. I'm trying to get out there a little more, but um, I'd like to expand the podcast, get more listeners. We're all over the world. And I really do hope you like it. If you have comments, you know, come to Podbean, look it up, send me your uh, remarks, comments, questions, and uh, let us know what you think, what I can do better, what I can't do better. You want me to just, you know, shut up. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> you know, let me know. I've gotten some uh, pretty, pretty rough comments at times. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go cry somewhere. So, um, with that being said, I wish everyone the best, and I hope everyone has a very, very Christian-like week, which means you're going to go to church, read your Bible, prayer. <laughs> anyway, go with God, my friends. Thank you very much.